Lord, we are, we are worshiping, recognizing what you have done in coming incarnated as a man, as God, and so humble to be with us as a babe in a manger, and so vulnerable, so humble. We worship you, we're drawn to you. Yes, Lord, bless our day today and tomorrow. Yes, Lord, our Christmas dinner would be celebrated in your presence. Our conversations, our hearts, our weeks leading up, the week coming, the New Year's, the New Year, and we are trusting you in life and worshiping you. Thank you, Lord, for answering us in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Um, I'll give you the outline for the message today. I think I have my iPad. Okay. Uh, Turn with me to Colossians chapter 1. And we have the most explicit definition of Christ because as you know there's a question in our hearts when we become believers is he God is Christ God that's the big question in history with people in general is he the incarnated living God, or was he created, as the Jehovah Witnesses say and the Mormons say, that he was made, that Jesus was made. He was not made. That's a heresy. So, But we understand from the heart how we, we do not understand it. It must be revealed to us that he is God. So we have Colossians 1, 15 to 20 these verses. So this is the first um, uh, part of the outline, the first, the deity of Christ. So he is, did I spell that right? He is uh, God, right? So we have Colossians 1, 15 to 20, and what that means. So if you look at that, Text. We will do it a little bit later, but you see seven things listed there about him that only could be could be in reference to God, because he created. He is the image of the invisible God. In verse fifteen. So we have a very important text for our theology that Christ is God. Then we have the second point is um, there's no room in the inn, no room in the inn when he was born. So this is Colossians, I mean, I'm sorry, Luke 2, 7. Maybe we could put that verse up. There's no room in the inn. 
for when Christ was born. It's a beautiful picture of how there is no place for him in this world that he made, that there's no room for him because in our hearts we, are, we, have, we have what's called a fleshly mind. We have a fleshly mind. So the fleshly mind doesn't understand this. And um, it excludes him. We see it everywhere. There's no room for him in the board meeting. There's no room for him in the corporation. There's no room for him in the house, in the family. There's no room for him in the NFL. There's no room for him in organization, in the government. There's no room for him in an army or a parliament. There's no room for him. That we have no place for him. We have no interest. We do not understand the value of it or what it means. There's no room for him in my life. I have my life to live. I'm living my life. I don't have room for Jesus Christ. So that's the second point. And then, I'm not sure exactly, but I have a picture here that I want to bring up. Do you know what that is? A brood of vipers. I don't think those are vipers. Yeah, maybe they are. A brood of vipers. You can get your own picture on your phone of a brood of vipers. You know, you have a, a litter of kittens, right? You have, a, you have puppies. You have a bunch. It's the same with snakes, but they're called a brood, a brood of vipers. Why did Jesus talk about the religious establishment in Israel as a brood of vipers? And he did in Matthew 23. Because they all have the same character. They all have the same nature. They're a bunch of the same. And this is a warning to us that we have that tendency to, to be with the group. And we should be aware of what that group is. And in that group, this is uh, Matthew 23, uh, this is an incredible chapter. It's when Jesus is his last public speech. It's his last words to Israel. And he's very, very angry at them. He's very angry at them. And he has, uh, to break down the chapter, because it's, a, it's kind of a long chapter, but eight times he says, woe to them. Let's see, uh... Um, seven times in the chapter he calls them hypocrites. Um, twice he says they are blind. Two times he says they are fools. And one time he calls them a brood of vipers. So if you count what he's saying in that chapter, and why is he saying it? Why is, why is because of the fleshly mind the fleshly mind has no room for him. And the fleshly mind reinforces itself like of its own kind. It's the same arrogance. It's the same hypocrisy. It's the same system. 
and there's no room for Jesus there. He cannot get into it. He cannot penetrate that group. He cannot touch it. They are blind. They are fools. They are hypocrites. They are cursed. Woe unto them. All right, so we are in a world, in our outline, I think that's my message today. So I, I, it's going to be edifying, I hope. I hope, because we have to go to the third part in the, in the outline, and that is like, you know, um, you know, our new life, our victory. Okay? Amen. Thank you for your prayers through the year, what the Lord has done in one year by his grace. It's so fun to put Jesus in, to have Jesus in our hearts and to have Jesus in our lives. It's so precious. The verse in Luke 2, when we have the birth of Christ in Bethlehem, Verse 7 of Luke 2, she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes, laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. When we were in Israel, we asked about what that mean, what the manger was, and the tour guide told us that if you have a cave, uh, in your the birds, uh, you take the top off the cave and you look in. The animals are here in the back of the cave, and the front end is where it's warm, because the heat of the animals heats the cave. And this is the the front end is called the manger. You know, I don't know exactly, but we had some study on it and. My my point is that uh, that people lived here, like in front of the animals. They could the the poor or people had no place to sleep. They could be in, in the front part where the animals are behind them, and then there is the heat, and then they are in the cave and sheltered. Uh, imagine Christ, God, the Creator. Turn to Colossians 1 with me for those seven descriptive words for Christ here. We have chapter 1, verse 15. He is the image of the invisible God. And that's the word icon or an image. He is, in Hebrews 1.3, the brightness of his glory, the express image of his person. So if you saw Christ, he Christ said, you, you've seen the Father, if you see me. But of course, seeing somebody is, uh, is a mystery. What do you see when you look at a person? When in he Isaiah fifty three said, "When we see him, there'll be no beauty that we would desire him." So it's very possible to see Christ and not get it, not see what you are to see or understand who he is. But if we are believing that he is the guy, he is God, 
then we are watching a expression of humility that is very much needed by us. We want to see him this way. We wouldn't even imagine that he would do it, but that he would be with the animals and a baby vulnerable within a way like flailing like a child could but he's wrapped but you know how children their arms are moving like this and so on and when you see his arms stretched out and that and you see the arms stretched out at the cross and then as a baby without power with with, with without the skill of an adult but as a baby, then we see something about the nature of God, that he is extraordinarily humble. And he is that way to reach us. There's something about the way def- we are defensive. A man with big muscles, we may be like draw up the protection, or a man with a lot of power, a king on a throne, a parliament, a man with a lot of degrees, or a lot of money, or a lot of influence, that is, it, it, it um, doesn't disarm us, it arms us. We are, we are being threatened, or we, we could get in trouble, or Maybe the man will be, would be dangerous. But when we see Christ in the birth, we, we are disarmed. We also become vulnerable. We also humble ourselves before him. And we are curious. He opens our hearts. And we are curious, like, what is this? This is refreshing. He's a king, but he's this kind, right? So the words here in this description here are important because we see that he is God. And this is verse 15 through verse 20. Who is the image of the invisible God? My father and I are one, he said in John 10, the firstborn of every creature. That is prototokos. It doesn't mean prototokitesis is the word for being made, being, being made. Like it sounds like the firstborn of every creature, but instead it has the idea he's the first. So you have the Trinity, the Father, the Son, the Spirit. And regarding what God is doing, the Son is the first. He is the one that's going to do it. He is God, but he is the one that's creating. He is the one that is um, uh, regarding his status. He is number one is in context of creation the first he is the the one also at the end inherits it 
he also receives it, and he gives it to his father in 1 Corinthians 15.22. Verse 16, By him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him. It's a very simple picture. It goes like this. We think of it this way here as God, and he created through the through the Son did God the Son Christ created and it is really through him that everything exists. It's held together. It's um, existing through him and then it is for him. It it's the purpose of it is him. He is the one that started it. He's the one that maintains it. And ultimately, it glorifies God. Is Let me give you an insight to paganism. The pagans, they would have a concept of God, but they had gods. Like they had, and not really, they were like tiers, like levels of gods. And then finally... Some God created man, okay? But man doesn't relate in paganism to God as much as he does to the gods. And and this is like there's many versions and many stories of this. But this has to be contested by Christianity. Because Christianity has another another uh, the the way is this one. It is Monotheism, and this was Jewish, monotheism is one God. There's three monotheistic religions in the world, Islam, Judaism, and Christianity. But in our understanding and in the Jewish, Jewish, um, uh, if, if they would, the big question to a, a Jew is, is the Messiah God? So you have three in one, right? One God, but three persons. And this is a mystery. But it's important to us because when you understand that God is Father, then you have Son, the Son of God. And by the way, this is in Proverbs 30. It says, let's get it right here. Find the verse. Okay, this is is a verse four. Yeah, I got to remember that. Who hath ascended up into heaven or descended? Who has gathered the wind in his fists? Who has bound the waters in a garment? Who has established all the ends of the earth? What is his name, and what is his son's name? if you can tell. In other words, what is the name of God and what is the name of God's Son? This is Father, Son. In Proverbs, this is in the Old Testament, 
the Father, and the Son. Why is that important? Because if you have one God, but not three, then you don't have Father. You don't have the word Father. If you have one God, like in Islam, but he's only one God, then he's not a Father. But if he has a Son, then he's a Father. Why is that important to us? Because... Because we want to have a father, and we would like God to be our father. But we have lost God. But Jesus came, and I believe um, 80 times in the New Testament, 80 times in the New Testament, we have this word, Father. The Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. What's that mean to you? It means that God is not only almighty, but he is my father. How do I know? Because he has a son. When did he have the son? Always. He always had a son. Why is that important? Because that's a relationship that we nurture or a relationship that we desire or a relationship that makes sense to us. Well, who are you? I am a child. Well, who is your father? God. Can you say that in any other religion? You can't really say that in any other religion. You don't have that teaching. This theology produces in us a family. And God is our father. And Jesus taught us, pray our father who art in heaven, as we know. Okay, so that's a side point. I think you maybe understand that. Go to, back to Colossians with me, and we'll finish this part. Verse um, 17. And he is before all things, and by him all things consist. So we have, number one, he's the image of God the firstborn over creation. Number two, he's the creator of the universe. No, I'm sorry. He is the image of God. He's the firstborn over creation is number two. He is the creator of the universe is number three. And then verse, then number four is in verse uh, 18. He is the head of the body, the church. That means a lot to us because we are a church, but we need a head. We are a church, but we need God to be the head of our church. We need Jesus to, we have room for him. We have room for God in our hearts. We have been born again. We have Christ in our life. We have the spirit of God in us, and he is the head of the body. And then, then, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead? So we have number five, firstborn from the dead. Now, weren't there people raised from the dead in Jesus' time? Yes, but he was the firstborn from the dead. What do you mean? Nobody was raised from the dead like he was. Others were resuscitated or they came alive again, but not with a glorified body. But he had a glorified body. That's another, that's another category, isn't it? 
That's a resurrection. That's the glorification of man's body. He is the first one that that happened to. Why? Because that's why he came. To take the first Adam and save him and then glorify him. And that's our anticipation for the future. How are we have, why do we have the assurance? Because his tomb is empty. With his body, he is gone. That's another thing paganism didn't have. They didn't have the resurrection of the body. They would have spirits and you leave your body and that idea, but they didn't have the human body glorified. But we have. Because when he came, he took upon himself the sinful, he took upon himself the form of sin, a sinful body, without having sin. He had no sin. But why did he do it? To save us. To say that man was not made to die, man was made to live. And that's what happened in his resurrection. Who is this person? This is God that has done this. What did he do? He, he did, where were we here? Verse number five is the firstborn. Then number six in the list, the fullness of God. So we have here verse 19. For it pleased the Father that him should all fullness dwell. Everything, everything that the fullness of the Godhead is in Christ. This is, this is actually in the context of this idea where you have these uh, created gods in this idea and you have something less than God, right? As a God. But this is not what we have received. We have received the fullness of God in him. Everything in him. In him the fullness dwells. In Christ we have this gift, this mind, this purpose. God himself came to save us and give this to us. Verse 20, and he's made peace through the blood of his cross. Isn't it an incredible message? The, the, you know, somebody said recently to me when I was evangelizing, I'm explaining to them, and they said, you know, it's too complicated. Your religion is too complicated. Like, I just need the simple, just just be a good guy, believe in God, and just have it, you know, what, what's the big deal? Why do you have it complicated? And uh, C.S. Lewis calls that Christianity and water. That's just like, uh, the, the just like a simple, like, love your neighbor as yourself, believe in God, and hope for the best. That's all that I need. That's all that I want. That's all that I believe. But actually, in life, it isn't that way. The more you get into a thing, the much more complicated it is. 
whether that's mathematics or biology or politics or whatever it is in life, raising a family or your own self. The more you get it, the more you realize what it is, the more you go into another and you realize what it is. And with God, you can have it very simple. God is like that, obviously. When he came into the world, he knew what we needed was something simple and pure, clean, powerful, real. And when we have it, then it's fascinating to us. We are drawn to it, and we want it. And when he explains to us what it is, it fits more and more together with our world. This is the world that we are in, where God is in it with us, and that God is a baby in the manger, and we love, we want that. We would like to know who is God that would be in a manger as a baby. It disarms us. It opens our heart, and we come to him, and we are trusting in him. But the problem is um, the second part of our outline. So we have the first part. We went over the seven things and then um, seven descriptive um, words or seven descriptive concepts that we read about, and then there is no room for him in our lives because... We, are, we have a fleshly mind. This is chapter 1, verse 20. And having made peace through the blood of his cross, by him to reconcile all things unto himself, by him I say whether they be things in earth or things in heaven, and that you are sometime alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now hath he reconciled. This is there's no room because we have a fleshly mind. And I was thinking today about that. Why don't we include him in the boardroom or include him in the school, in the principal's office, or with the teachers meeting? Why don't we include him when we are buying a car or getting married or having a friendship? Why don't we include him in it? Why don't we have him in our conversation? Why aren't we reading the book of Proverbs and using it in everyday life? Why aren't we worshiping Jesus as God and as Christ? And the answer is, we have a fleshly mind. And that means it's not in our heart. It means maybe... It's embarrassing, or I don't have time, maybe. I'm afraid if I have room for him, I have room for him in my life. There was no room for him in the end, so then maybe people will have no room for me in their life. If I make room for Jesus in my life, maybe people will say, I have no room for him. I have no room for Jesus, and I have no room for this guy who's talking about Jesus. 
or loving like Jesus or believing or following Jesus. I don't have room for him. So we maybe are afraid of not, of, of not being accepted because we have made room in our hearts for Jesus Christ. Fleshly mind makes evaluations in our society, in our way. Okay. So, did you get the part about the brood of vipers? This is, um, where are we? Here we go. I know that's an ugly picture. I don't want to be with those. Okay. The verse coming to mind about this one, it's Matthew 23, you are a brood of vipers, but the the proverb is chapter 1, where it says in chapter 1, verse um, 14, cast in your lot among us, let us all have one purse. My son, walk now in the way with them. There's a community, like there's a connection that people have when they are evil or a connection that people have when they are fleshly minded. And we are, we, they are, by the way, these snakes are born in the brood, right? They are eggs, serpent eggs, and they are all born roughly the same time. So they are emerging from the shell. And they, they are just the same kind, right? The same kind. Have you ever been in a group like that? Have you ever kind of been with like a group of whatever it might be, a party group? Have you ever been with a group that is, that is very much going? There's energy in it. There's authority in it. There's a feeling in it. There's words that are in it. There is something in it that is happening. It's, it's a powerful community. It's a powerful group. It, it's everywhere in life. These groups. Be careful of it. Because Jesus saying, you should know better. Because you have what's called outward life and inward life. These are the outward people. These are the uh, people that are in the program, but there's no inward real change. There's no reality of God inwardly. And that's where you actually live, is the inner life. He said, you wash the outside of the plate, but inside you're filled with dead men's bones. So so this leads us to the third and last part of the message today. And it is victory. The new birth. The reality. The birth of Christ in you. Being born again. Being set free. Real freedom. Not political freedom, philosophical ideologies, but reality that you are free from your sin. You're free from yourself. You're free to worship. We had a great concert in Fed Hill last night. I was amazed 
and uh, these young people singing, and it was very good. You could watch it online, I'm sure, down at Fed Hill. And what a good, what a good group! What a beautiful expression of love and and the the time of the year and uh, their fellowship. Do you have victory over over sin? Did Christ reconcile us to God? Are, is He our Father? Do we have a fellowship with Him? Are we happy to have Jesus in our conversation? Are we ha- I, I, you will have a, a better Christmas dinner when you have this freedom and this victory in your spirit and in your heart. You have like joy in your life. When a, when a family has Jesus at the center, and even though we're, we're family, we're, we're kind of crazy sometimes or we fall down, we, we're not perfect people. At the same time, why did he come? What did he come to give us? What do we have now? What are we talking about? What is our priority? Where, where, where have we found the main, the, the main thing in our lives, but in him. In him we live and move and have our being. In him we are spirit-filled. In him we call upon his name and he answers. In him we are forgiven of all of our sins. In him we have a basis for our peace. We have a solution to our life. We have a way of our life being organized from above. A way, it's not, it's not, uh, hard to navigate if he is our pilot. He is the one guiding us. You know, it says that in him all things consist. Let's, let's say this, this about, about this uh, victory point. He is holding the universe together. Does he hold your life together? He is holding your life together. He is. He's able to hold your life. You could say, I don't know, I mess things up. Yes, but this is God. And, and we are trusting him. He, he is the God that saved us, the God that lives in us. And he's holding our life together. He is answering us. He's helping us. He's giving us peace. And uh, look at how the world is going. I believe, and I'll just finish this, that I really believe that the world is shaking, but it's going to shake more. It's going to shake more. Once It says in the book of Hebrews that God will shake not only the earth, but he will shake the heavens. What does that mean, right? He is shaking our society, but he'll also shake the earth, and also the cosmos will be shaken. Wow. We are in times when the shaking means for people, where do I go to find? I need somebody to hold my life together. And we're saying that baby born in a manger who is rejected so much all the time is received by us all the time, all the time. 
every effort to be submitted to him. And he is the head of the church. That, that means that he will take care of us. That means that he will speak to us. It means that he will heal us. He will help us. He will answer us. He, we are in a good place. The world is shaken, but we have the gospel. Let's, uh, I love it when those NFL football players, they talk about God. And I could just see that the world just, oh, don't do that. Don't stop talking like that. Can't you just see it? Like producers, you know, the whole network, everything is, oh, he did it again. And why are you doing that? It's like, isn't it amazing how it can be? And isn't it amazing how a church can remove God? How a church can remove the Bible? How God, how a church can be ashamed of the, of this babe born in in a manger. Isn't it amazing how the brooded vipers, they just don't like Jesus, and they never will. They cannot handle it. And what we're saying today, uh, you should detect the brood, you should realize the fleshly mind, and you should just say, no, I am, I am here for a purpose. I'm going to trust Jesus, and I'll be with him. I'll be with him. I'll be an outcast with him, if that is what it means. Fortunately, many times it isn't what it means. People say, thank you. Thank you, you came. Thank you for coming. Thank you for the meeting. I heard Stuart Lucas had in Ohio. He had a big banquet. And uh, Mark DeMoss shared that his father used to do a big banquet in Philadelphia. 500 people, free food. Tom Landry is a guest or a celebrity or if somebody famous would come and give their testimony and hundreds of people would come to Christ. That's where we're at now. I believe we have a message that needs to be heard and God has put that in your heart. You have it. And so enjoy sharing it and living it. Amen. Come to Jesus today as you are. Say to Jesus Christ, there's no one like you. I believe you. I trust you. Arrogance and pride and fleshly minds cannot comprehend it. But may we look at it and say, wow, how strange that is. But that's what I would expect from God. Something extraordinary that touches our hearts. Lord, thank you for this great salvation. And anyone with an open heart say to Jesus, open my heart, Lord, and then come into my heart. Be my Savior, I pray. In Jesus' name. Anybody saying that prayer this morning? Lord Jesus, save me. Just raise your hand. And we'll do that this morning this way. Raise your hand. Yes, yes to Jesus. Yes, I want Jesus in my life. Anyone? Anyone at all? Okay. Amen. <clears throat>